As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 172 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. This is an emergency podcast. Buster Posey is retiring. Andy Baggerly, you broke the news. Why'd you do that? <laughs> well, first of all, it's an emergency podcast, and I think we should make these alphanumeric podcasts instead of 172. Let's just make this one, oh, I don't know, BP28. That will be <laughs> that will be this episode of the podcast. Buster Posey, emergency podcast. Why did I do it? You know, it's it's funny. It's one of those things. I mean, it's it's the job. It is. It's, it's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to break news, but I, I, I won't lie. I, I felt really conflicted about it, you know? As, as uh, And there was a time when I, I had the story, I hadn't written it yet, and I was talking to someone in the organization, and I said, you know, I kind of feel bad, and I don't want to write this, because I know it's going to be a gut punch for a lot of people, and I don't want to do that, <laughs> but... Uh, um, in all honesty, someone else came up to me in the organization after the, um, uh, you know, the news conference and the announcement and said, you know, it, it actually was a good thing that it came out a day earlier because it allowed people to get over kind of the shock of it yeah. a little bit, I guess. Yeah. And and then you were just in fully, fully washed in Buster Posey appreciation mode, you know, as he's, you know, kind of uh, getting his flowers, so to speak. So, um, you know, I... I and so to that, I said, well, I was happy to be of service. I will be I will be happy to do that as many times as you would like. So um, but yeah, it's it's obviously it was a big scoop for me. But, um, uh, you know, still felt a little bad because I, you know, in some sense, it's not my announcement to make. But the job is what it is. And and, um, you know, obviously, I think it, it worked out for everybody. So in no specific order, you can go alphabetical or just random. Uh, can you list each and every one of your sources for the podcast? <laughs> no. Well, I would have to I would have to. Uh, 
um, uh, individually silence every listener. Um, <laughs> Siberia would get very crowded. Um, no, but your point to giving people time to prepare, uh, you were gracious enough to let me know the night before, like, hey, I think this is happening. And it allowed me, A, to stare at the ceiling for a couple of hours, but B, like kind of process like, okay, how are we thinking about this? How can we process? And it really did help, you know, me when, when the, when it became official or relatively official, like it helped me just, you know, crank out a story because I already had those thoughts processed. And I think for fans, it was sort of like that, like you had that. And then you had the press conference in between was going through several stages of whatever. It's not grief. It's not the the Kubler-Ross model or whatever, but like it's, you're going through stages where you can appreciate Posey's press conference a little bit more, appreciate Farhan getting up there and cracking a joke a little bit more. I I think it did help. I think that's a good point. So I'm kind of curious, how how was the process for you? What were some of the first things you thought about? You know, was it kind of disbelief? Like, come on, man, you're you're the silver slugger. You just won comeback player of the year award for the second time, which no one ever does. And, you know, you're, (laughs) You got $22 million option that the team is, is going to be just absolutely thrilled to pick up. And, and, and now you're walking away. I mean, it's I, I can definitely understand a lot of the different sort of conversations that fans would have with themselves over this. And I'm wondering what they were like for you. You know, it, it was a little bit of a ride, but I felt like you had prepared me all season on this podcast by just kind of dropping in like, we would talk about, of course, they're going to pick up the option. Of course, they're going to do this. Maybe they're going to trade Bart, but you would always throw in a little you know, he might retire. And I don't think it's because he was given off signals or vibes or, you know, it wasn't like that, but it was just sort of, it made a little bit of sense if you could just look at it uh, for more than a couple seconds, like he's done everything. You know, there's a, a Mr. Show skit uh, or sketch that's, you know, they blow up the moon and they have an astronaut talking about, you know, well, why would you blow up the moon? He goes, I don't know. I ate an egg on it, did a push up on it. What more is there to do with it? And I always <laughs> think about that with Buster Posey's career. He's like, I've won this award, that award. I've won this championship, that championship, this championship. I've done the all-star game. I'm getting foul tips to the head. I've got two sets of twins at home. I mean, like, what are we doing here? And I appreciate the heck out of that as much as like I want to keep watching him play baseball. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's uh, it, it, for me, I, I wasn't surprised by it only because of two reasons. One, he did step away in 2020. And we know that that was a different time. It, there was a lot more going on with the pandemic. He had the twins that they just adopted, you know, who were prematurely born and obviously very vulnerable. Um, but he, he w- was willing to step away from, you know, what was going to be about 8 million bucks uh, that he would have made. So, so clearly that was not going to be an issue for him. And the other thing is that he was never someone for as visible as he was and for as recognizable as he was, which not many baseball players are, mm. um, honestly. Uh, he, you know, everybody else is going to define him as Buster Posey, the catcher, the giant, the baseball player. And he was always very, very... I, I, I'm talking about him like he's gone. He's <laughs> always been someone who has not defined himself by that. And I don't think he needed the ego uh, to, you know, oh, I need to pad my Hall of Fame stat. He's he's like, I'm fine with what I've done. If, if it's good enough for the Hall of Fame, that's for other people to judge. I, I would love to be there. I'd love to experience that, but it's not like it, he's going to go, um, you know, put himself through the physical toll of, of, of catching uh, for another year, just, just so he can do that. I mean, that's not a priority for him. There's a lot more that he wants to do. And, and part of that is a big part of that is, is, is just being there for his family and, and, and doing more things and, you know, moving back to Georgia. And he was saying that there's a lot of extended family that still hasn't met the, the, the twins because of COVID and stuff. So, um, 
You know, it's it's. I think it's 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 not the choice that a lot of people would make. So many players wrap up so much of their identity in being a baseball player, and and there's almost a fear that you know, hey, if I don't play until they rip the jersey off, then I can delay having to think about what the next stage of my life is going to be, or who I'm going to be as a person, or am I going to be less of a person now that I don't have this fame and adulation for something I'm known for won't be connected with me anymore. Um, and and Buster just was so disciplined to never have gone through that, and he even thanked his parents uh, as one of the many people he thanked in his in his speech, which was not about him at all, by the way. It was all, all about everybody else. And he said his parents gave him that sort of uh, idea or, or, or hammered into him the, the belief that, hey, baseball is a vessel to do what you want to do, and it, it, but it doesn't define you. And uh, that takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of, I think, uh, sort of understanding of self. And, and Buster always has been very, very strong in those regards. So um, as much as I think you look at the year he had and think, oh, well, he, he had to have convinced himself he's got more to give, um, you know, he, he said it wasn't really a temptation. And that for him more than anything else made him be at peace that he's making the right decision because it would be easy to retire after having another bad year. Uh, but uh, the fact he's retiring on top like this, um, I think, uh, you know, as probably the most valuable catcher in the major leagues, uh, tells him that, you know, if he wasn't swayed by having a season like this, then he wasn't going to be swayed. Yeah, you had an excellent uh, reference in your initial article about Posey uh, where you mentioned Will Clark as a player who did somewhat of the same thing. And in 2000, he was hitting 301 for the Orioles. He was doing, you know, Will Clark things. He gets traded to the Cardinals and he goes berserk. He goes, he hits 345, he hits 12 home runs. He becomes, you know, just like a key deadline acquisition. And then after the season, he just retires because he he wants to spend time with his son. It's it's not that he wasn't hitting well. It's not that he couldn't do it. He had just a string of 300 seasons before that. He just wanted to retire. He, it wasn't it wasn't worth it for him. And that was like an interesting parallel because then when I'm looking at what Buster Posey means to the Giants, I'm bringing up Will Clark as a guy who showed up the first game after a 100-loss season, hits a home run off Nolan Ryan, and all of a sudden you have this new era of Giants baseball. It feels like if you're going to have a parallel it's like Will Clark 2.0, where he he's the guy that Will Clark was as far as like defining an era, but he comes with championships and like he's he's taken it to a next level. Is is that appropriate? Oh, I think that's absolutely appropriate. I think you, you that yeah, perfect. I think you said it perfectly. And 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 I don't think we talk enough uh, in sort of the Giants community about how Will Clark's career ended because it ended after a number of seasons with the Texas Rangers, and then he was with as you mentioned Baltimore and St. Louis, and you know as you said he. Had 345 with 12 home runs in in less than 200 plate appearances uh and and you know he had a son with with autism and special needs and and he stepped away to to be a dad because that was more important to him at that stage and and he's someone who retires with a 303 lifetime average and buster has a 302 lifetime average and will clark had 2176 hits and he's somebody who i think if he had played another couple years and compiled a little more um, you know, without doing a lot of damage to his rate stats, I think he would have probably been a Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, I, that's maybe where the parallels might diverge a little bit, because I do think that Buster, even though he retires with exactly 1,500 hits um, in, in the regular season in his career, and uh, the fact he did it all as a catcher and, and, and provided all the defensive value as a catcher and won the championships, and you know, can't really tell the story of baseball in, in the 2010s without Buster Posey, I, I think that's going to make him a Hall of Famer and I think that he is probably going to get in, maybe even on the first ballot. Uh, where So that may be the one place where this otherwise really strong parallel um, 
uh, between a Will Clark and Buster Posey may may uh, sort of diverge off. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into the Hall of Fame talk, uh, but I will say that it's, it seems like the most prominent argument against Buster Posey is that you know, it wasn't long enough. He didn't accumulate this this counting stat, this counting stat. Um, but it seems like the argument then becomes if he could just have had a, a repeat of his 2019 season for like four more years. And, you know, 2019 was a, a down year for Posey, 257, 320 on base percentage, seven home runs. If he just could have done that for five more years, he would have been a sure thing first ballot Hall of Famer. And I don't understand that. You know, I'll be honest, I'm someone who covered Buster's whole career. In fact, um, you know, it was pointed out to me um, by Kerry Crowley of, of the Merck that, um, you know, it's kind of appropriate, I guess, that uh, we were the ones to, to break the story because I, I with uh, Hank Schulman retiring last year, I'm the only reporter who covered the entirety of Buster Posey's career, oh, wow. which is kind of a, a, neat, a neat thing to think about that hadn't even occurred to me, uh, to be honest. Um, but uh, as someone who was there in the in the front row to watch his entire career, I wasn't over the line for him on a hall of uh, the Hall of Fame. I really wasn't until uh, this past season and uh, and seeing what he was able to do and, and and you know obviously being able to still perform at an absolutely elite level um, and, and then. <laughs> The way he performed in the postseason, I mean, almost hitting a splash homer uh, <laughs> on his last major league home run in game one of the NLDS against the Dodgers. You know, you, you get the stat that, you know, he's caught close to 60 postseason games and a quarter of them have been shutouts. And no one's caught more postseason shutouts ever uh, than Buster Posey. And that's uh, that to me was like, OK, th- this is not only I'm not no only over the line now. I'm, I'm clearing it you know, by a good wide margin here. So um, and I think that I think that probably you know people do buy into a narrative. And uh, I think we've got five years uh, to kind of you know wrap our minds around this narrative. And the more you think about it, the more it becomes obvious to you that yeah, Buster Posey is somebody who belongs in the Hall of Fame. And and like you said, I, I don't like to have a ton of, spend a ton of time and energy you know, having these conversations now, but it is something that people are talking about. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's probably, uh, I think when we come uh, around to the ballot in five years, especially if Joe Maurer gets in before Buster, then it's going to be pretty clear cut. Yeah. And I, for the record, like I, I'm a big Hall guy. So I think when people make the Thurman Munson comp is like, well, Thurman isn't in, is Buster really in? And to that, I say, why is the Thurman Munson in? I actually read a, a really good like reason for it is like because there was bench because, you know, he was behind. It was like the Tim Raines, Ricky Henderson effect where he wasn't Ricky Henderson. So if, if uh, uh, Thurman Munson isn't Carlton Fisk, or he isn't Johnny Bench, then somehow he suffers. Thurman Munson should be in. I'm sorry. I am a Thurman Munson guy. Um, But again, I didn't do an Easter egg at the start of this episode, episode 172, uh, because it it felt a little bit off because I did find an Easter egg for 172 that was Buster Posey themed. Uh, It was that was the number of hits he had in his career. He, He stopped at 172 hits for the 2011 season. So when when he has the injury in 2011, he has 172 hits. And I bring that up because I remember that day after so vividly sitting in a dark apartment with with shades drawn. I'm still a fan blogger at this point in wondering, is that it? Are we ever going to see Buster Posey again? Are we ever going to see him at uh, an uh, all star level? Uh, You know, what kind of catcher are we going to get? Do we get five more years out of him? What's this going to look like? And I remember thinking about that for months, 
for months. It was like, now he's running again. Now you're getting these little updates. And for us to be sitting here a decade later talking about that and talking about Hall of Fame and, and everything else that he's done, really one of the most amazing careers I've ever watched and paid this much attention to in my life. Wow. I just uh, checked your math there. and You're right. He had 172 hits uh, uh, on the day that uh, Scott Cousins wiped him out at home plate. And you know, I, I talked to uh, as many people as I could uh, at the um, announcement yesterday. Some people flew in for it. Bruce Bochy flew in for it. Uh, one person who was there that I absolutely wanted to talk to, and I'm not sure anyone else talked to him, was Dave Greshner. Mm. And you talk about somebody who spent more time with Buster Posey than anybody else. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was in the trainer's room for an hour, an hour and a half, toward the end of the year, two hours, every single day. Um, and, and nobody, I think, got to see behind the scenes what it took for Buster Posey to be Buster Posey uh, than, than Dave Greshner. And um, so I asked him for some memories, and, and he went right to that moment. And the, the moment that, uh, in that moment, what he told me was, you know, Buster's just writhing on the, on the ground in, in agony. He knows that it's a bad injury. Uh, they know that it's, it's a really significant, significant injury, and they call for the medical cart. And Buster, this is in my story, uh, but uh, you know, Buster looked Greshner right in the eye as he's going through immense pain. And all I can think to say is, don't call for the cart. I'm walking off this field. And and Dave looks at Mark Grusbeck, the assistant trainer, and they're like, how are we going to do this? What 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 <laughs> what what are we going to do here? <laughs> and then and then Greshner said, you know what? Okay, this is what he wants to do. We're gonna we're gonna help him off this field. And so you know, Buster slung an arm over each of them, and and he limped off in, down down the dugout stairs, and uh, and then into the trainer's room, and and uh, and that was a moment when he thought at the time, oh, you know, Buster's just being stubborn. Um, you know, he just wants to get off the field as fast as possible. But then, you know, he's telling the story years later and he realized that that really told you something about who he was. And which is not to say that, oh, he's tough, he's manly. You know, if, if you need a cart, there's no shame in getting on the cart. Right. But, uh, you know, he he wanted to walk off or he wanted to, to go off the field his way uh, and, and, and probably just wanted to get out of sight as fast as possible. Um, and, and he walked off under his own volition, his own power. Uh, the way he wanted to when he retired. So, uh, you know, it's it's in a way there's there's kind of a parallel. And you're right. Not only did he come back uh, to catch again, which was a question, he came back to hit 336, <laughs> win a, a batting title, and win MVP the next year. I mean, and that was his, the first of his two Comeback Player of the Year awards, of course, the last one he won this past season. So, um, yeah, I mean, just, just a remarkable career. We know that some of the air went out of the balloon uh, from like 2000, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 uh, with the hip, with a lot of the things he dealt with. And, you know, we'll never know just how great of an offensive player he could have been at a different position. But I can guarantee you it's not something he spends a second thinking about or has a second to regret or to sort of ruminate over because he knows what he was able to do. And I think he's proud of what he was able to do as a catcher. And um, that became his basic baseball identity, and it was his identity to the end. That brings up something I've been thinking about quite a bit in that when I was writing, I was blogging back in 2009 about, you know, Buster Posey as the answer for the Giants, it was because, look, they had a cleanup hitter who was 
a catcher. His on-base percentage was under 300. Here is a hotshot catcher who might uh, actually hit a little bit. Why don't you just switch catchers, right? It was for me, who wasn't a baseball player or manager, it was like, hey, take this widget, put it in here. And now with a little bit, I'm, I'm wizened. And I understand now just how freaking important catchers are and why Bruce Bochy was like, I just don't know if this is the right time. We've got a pitching staff that's humming. Like, I, I'm just not so sure about this to the point where it was kind of taken out of his hands with the Benji Molina trade. But in retrospect, I understand why, you know, you would have those uh, reservations. And also, holy heck, how did Buster Posey do that as a rookie to just come in and take command of a pitching staff like that? Like that might be the most underrated part of Buster Posey's story. And it's not like it's underrated, but just the idea he comes in as a rookie, wins a World Series. That should not happen. Yeah, he's catching Tim Lincecum. He's catching Matt Cain. He's catching Madison Bumgarner. He's catching Brian Wilson. <laughs> he's catching Sergio Romo. Jeremy Affelt throwing scuds at him. I mean, you couldn't think of, of a more, I guess, disparate group of people, personalities, of stuff. And he doesn't know the hitters yet. He's just arriving in the big leagues. He doesn't know how to read swings yet. He doesn't know how to... I mean, he probably has some idea how to do it. But in terms of, you know, he hasn't stood in behind the plate, you know, with Paul Goldschmidt in the batter's box, you know, a couple dozen times. He doesn't know these hitters yet. And yet he was still able to pilot that team you know, through three rounds of the postseason play. And, you know, the other thing I think that we don't talk about enough is they were a fourth place team at the All-Star break hmm. in 2010. I mean, they weren't like, you know, threatening to, you know, sell at the trade deadline or anything, but they were not exactly contending and uh, kind of bopping around 500. And then if you remember, Buster had that just boffo month in, in July. Mm -hmm. And that's when the team started winning and winning and winning and, and, uh, and sort of, you know, started to, Hey, threaten the Padres and maybe we can catch him. And I, I don't think they ever, ever get off the launch pad at all. If not for what Buster Posey did offensively in, in that July, they probably, uh, you know, they probably don't even finish at 500, maybe. And instead, that, that was the team of all teams to, to finally win a World Series in San Francisco. So, you know, obviously, that's going to be hugely central to his legacy. Uh, but there's so much more than that. And that's, you know, the richness of his legacy, I think, is is one of the most um, uh, one of the most remarkable things. One of the things that I, I think about often that is just I can't wrap my head around how it happened was the Benji Molina trade where Brian Sabian kind of figures like, look, we have to make room. The time is now we have to we can't do a sharing arrangement. I it seems weird in retrospect, like he knew it had to be done, but like, how was there harm in some sort of sharing arrangement? It just, he knew he had his finger on the pulse. He knew what had to be done. And it's surprising in retrospect that a general manager would take that step and be that bold. Yeah, no, I agree. It was a very bold move. And it was, I think, June 1st um, when they made that trade. So uh, it, it, that's how clear it was. And that's how much they felt it wasn't a gamble to have Buster Posey take over uh, that team. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think that, uh, and Farhan Zaidi mentioned this at the, at the uh, announcement at the press conference, news conference, whatever you're going to call it, that, you know, they know what Giants baseball looks like when Buster Posey is not a part of it. Mm -hmm. And he said, even, even in 2020, when they had some nice moments, he, the way he put it was in retrospect, I realized we were lost. We were lost without you, Buster. And we know what, what it looked like in 2011 after he got hurt. I mean, the Giants were not the same. That team, that team could have won the division and probably would have if Buster doesn't get hurt. So, that's kind of the daunting challenge going forward is it's been a long time since the Giants have been good without Buster Posey. And um, 
that's it, it's now it's going to be Joey Bart's turn. We know that you know there are some questions in his game. We know there are a lot of strengths in his game too. But it's it's now the official changing of the shin guards. The Giants have a new catcher. It's Joey Bart. They're going to tender a contract to Kurt Casale. They're going to look out there for some other depth pieces. But this is now Joey Bart's team, and, and we can get into all of the host of ramifications. But I'll tell you, one of them is the Giants just lost a pretty good uh, marketing chip for as they're trying to fill out a rotation where they've only got one guy in it right now. Mm. You know, you can come sign with us and you can have Buster Posey catch you. We know that meant a lot to Kevin Gosman when he signed. It might mean a lot to Kevin Gosman as he decides whether to re-sign. And, um, you know, th- those guys are going to be throwing to to Joey Bart now and Kirk Casale and not Buster Posey. And that may be uh, something that affects their ability to sign free agents. Yeah, if you had asked me uh, after the 2019 season, uh, hey, are, do you think you're taking Buster Posey for granted? I would have said, what are you, nuts? Like, how can anyone ever take Buster Posey for granted? And it, when he was gone in 2020, I realized I was taking him for granted as far as like how he handled a pitching staff, how he managed uh, the staff, how just everything he did when he wasn't hitting it, his OPS could be under 700 and he would still be a wildly valuable player. And now you're going to see, okay, well, here you go. It's pushed into the deep end without Buster Posey. And we have a full year of Joey Bart in Sacramento. Um, he's, you know, applying his trade. And I would assume that uh, they've worked pretty hard and, and, and they've been diligent getting him up to major league uh, standards. And so it's not going to be the same as 2020 where it's like, uh, here you go, Joey. And, you know, it, it was a very, very rough transition, but it's still going to be different. I mean, Joey Bart, man, those are some shoes to fill. Yeah, and obviously he can't think about it that way. He's just got to do the best that he can. And, you know, I, I know he's been he's had to be patient and, and probably expected to be a September call-up, which he would have been in any other year where you can go to the full 40. Um, so, and, and they've done things here and there. You know, they had him, um, you know, come up and, 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 you know, pinch hit a couple times and, and make one start uh, during the season. They had him on the taxi squad a few times when they really didn't need him to be uh, because they wanted to expose him to what was going on at the big league level. Uh, and, you know, he had a nice year at Sacramento. He hit 294. Uh, he hit, um, you know, 10 homers in, in uh, 250 or so at bats. Um, you know, the strikeouts are still going to be a lot more than he's not going to be a guy who's going to walk as many times as he strikes out like Buster, you know, and they're definitely going to try to get him to be a little more patient and, uh, and to hone in his zone. But you know what? They've been really successful at, at uh, changing approaches with a lot of guys. And um, if Evan Longoria can do it after a decade in the big leagues, uh, then, you know, I think that they're pretty confident that Joey Bart can do it too. And, you know, there are going to be some changes with that hitting group. We know with Donnie Ecker taking the bench coach job with the um, Texas Rangers. I, I do understand the Giants have already agreed to to make a hire uh, to replace him, and they, they expect to announce that soon. Uh, but they feel really confident about the infrastructure in place with, you know, Justin Veely, with Dustin Lind. And they still may lose more coaches because there's still some staffs that have to be filled out. You know, the A's uh, will have to hire a manager and, and a staff. And, and we've got the, you know, the Mets and, and, and Padres too. So uh, they, they still may have to do some more uh, sort of uh, juggling. But uh, I think they feel really confident that they've got the hitting infrastructure in place and and they'll be able to support Joey Bart to, to be, 
you know, the best version of himself and not necessarily the next Buster Posey because that would just be unfair. Yeah. And I do think that it would be wise for everyone to temper their expectations. Uh, Not just like if Posey were coming back, you should probably temper your expectations for Posey's offensive capability in, in 2022. But I just think Bart doesn't need to do a ton to be very valuable offensively relative to other catchers in the league. Like I know he has a lot of swing and miss in his game, but if he can keep that on base percentage like close to 300 and hit the occasional dinger I mean really just sort of be Kurt Casale but a little bit more so he's fine he's valuable but does that make the Giants have to get the offense from somewhere else do they have to compensate for that idea is that going to be a part of their plans now yeah I I don't know it's a good question I mean certainly they're losing a really really good right-handed bat so maybe they'll they'll feel like they need to get a little more from the right side. And honestly, it might be a reason that they think a little harder about uh, Chris Bryant. Uh, And we know that they're going to let his market play out and they kind of telegraphed that maybe you shouldn't expect him to be back. But, you know, you're losing a really important right-handed bat in Buster Posey. And and maybe maybe it would make uh, Bryant make even more sense for them. Um, But, uh, you know, the one thing that I think you can, there's a lot of doom and gloom you can think about. Oh, the Giants without Buster Posey, this is not, they're not even going to be close. Uh, The one thing you can look at is Kirk Caselli made 55 starts at catcher. The Giants went 42 and 13 (laughs) in his starts. So, and and we know that Buster wasn't playing first base in those games or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he might have pinch hit in a few of them, but uh, um, he caught nine shutouts. So, you know, it's not like the Giants can't win without Buster on the field. Uh, they, they did a lot of that last year. So I guess that's one that's one sort of positive thing you can cling to. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at like right-handed bats and Chris Bryant stands out. Marcus Simeon stands out. I mean, I don't know what in the heck they would do with Carlos Correa, but I do enjoy spending Charles Johnson's money in my head. So it's like, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out different ways to get this, this uh, offense click into the way it was last year. It's I think a lot of things are going to be different than they were last year. Uh, Posey, even if he came back, wasn't going to hit like that. I mean, you have to expect a little bit of fallback from from players like Crawford. It, the Giants secretly have to figure out a, some ways to score runs. At the same time, I'm still concerned about... Like when Bart was back there and Johnny Cueto was clearly visibly disappointed or or disgruntled with how he was catching, how do the Giants, I mean, I'm sure the Giants have a handle on if that's fixed or if Cueto was being a little bit too persnickety. Like how comfortable are they with him as a backstop by now? Well, I think that's a great question. And, you know, uh, like when I asked Joey about that um, in the spring and, and asked Johnny about that too. They said, well, you know, we just have to make sure that doesn't happen. We have to get on the same page. And, you know, Johnny has even said, and I think he was probably being a little charitable, but, you know, he said, you know, Joey's a good catcher. He's, he's going to get it. We just have to get on the same page with it. And I think a lot of it is understanding the secondary sets of signs. And, uh, you know, Johnny's a guy who's very much in rhythm and mm-hmm. he likes to get the sign and go. And when he doesn't get what he wants, I think he can get a little flustered. And, you know, I, I, we, we don't know exactly. I think we're going to know soon about what the decisions will be on the options, but it's pretty pretty fair to say that uh, um, no one really expects the Giants to pick up Johnny Cueto's options. So um, that probably won't be a specific issue that they'll have to work through next spring. But uh, but yeah, getting getting Joey to a part to a point where he's 
able to catch in the modern game with what's expected of catchers these days is something that was a little bit of an issue at times. And, you know, they were working with his setup and, and dropping to one knee and doing different things and, you know, framing all this stuff. There's so much that may happen. We may have an automatic strike zone. We may have, there may be all, the game may be totally different uh, in terms of what is expected of a catcher in, in another year or two years too. So um, I think they just have to get him in a position where he's ready to make adjustments and, and, and be uh, at his best regardless of, of what uh, the circumstances are. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of confidence that they'll be able to do that and, and, and coach him up and, and that he's got all of the, uh, you know, raw material, I guess, to, to be able to succeed at the big league level. And, and, you know, again, he doesn't have to be Buster Posey, but you know, we know this is a team that looks to gain every little edge and requires a lot of focus and a lot of discipline in the way they go about playing nine innings. And nobody needs to be more focused and more on the ball than the catcher. So, um, you know, it, Joey's not coming up totally green to the major leagues, but we we do know that he's got some work to do. So that's going to be interesting. It's going to be one of the biggest things we watch next spring for sure. Uh, let's move on to an existential question. Does this make you feel old? Because <laughs> it makes me feel really old to talk about Buster Posey's retirement. He's, it, it would help if he looked craggly. He doesn't look craggly enough. Like I need, I need like a handlebar mustache and like, you know, crow's feet for me to really process this. Yeah, he's got a few flecks of gray at the temples, just a little bit. But you're right. It's not like he, he's not, he doesn't really have a weathered face. He still <laughs> looks very youthful. Um and, you know, yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you what, they most of the people that I consider contemporaries in this game are coaches now. Even the Giants coaches are, are, are seem like they're, I, see, I feel incredibly old compared to some of them. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll read a story that I wrote a while back and there'll be like a reference to like, you know, uh, Clay Bellinger. And it's like, oh, great. Yeah, I've covered, <laughs> I've covered a guy and I'm covering his kids. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. It, it is funny though. We we sort of mark the passage of time by different things. You know, you your your kids get older and you you sort of have the little wall wall in the garage where you pencil their heights and stuff. And and uh, yeah, we all mark the passage of time in different ways. And sometimes we do it by when our sports heroes retire. Yeah, I, I went back for just to kind of get a handle on what I was writing uh, back when he came up and and all that stuff. I was going back and reading my blogs on McCovey Chronicles from like 2009 and 2010, and that was one million years ago. So I started to feel old until I started reading that and it's like, this is another lifetime away. Why? Like, I shouldn't feel, I, well, I should feel old, but it shouldn't surprise me because Buster Posey, like he played for a long time. It seems like it was a short time, but that era of Giants baseball packed so much in and it was, everything is so different now than it was back in 2009, 2010. Uh, it's, it, there was so much baseball that happened. It's I I'm, I guess I'm not surprised at this point. Once you go back and you look at all that was packed in the previous 12 years, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I went back and I, I I remember when they had the they had us sitting around the draft table uh, after they drafted Buster, and it was a big deal. It was the 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 their highest pick since they took Jason Grilly, like uh, you know more than a decade earlier, and. Um, there was quite a bit of outcry that they didn't take Justin Smoke. And Brian Sabian was even asked about it. And he said, we think Smoke's going to be a good player, 
but he wasn't on our draft board as high as, as the guy we got. And almost nobody was. In fact, the only person they had higher on their draft board was Pedro Alvarez, who, mm-hmm. thank you, Pittsburgh Pirates, for taking Pedro Alvarez. Um, but uh, and, and, and thank you, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, for taking Tim Beckham first overall. They were ecstatic at that time when Buster slipped to them at number five. They were not sure he would. Um, they knew that the Orioles would not take him because they'd just taken Matt Wieters the draft before. They were probably going to take a pitcher. Uh, but once the Royals took Eric Hosmer, they were like, we are getting this guy. And they knew. They knew that this was somebody who not only had the talent but the personality to, to be a Will Clark type of person that could totally change um, the trajectory of, of the franchise. And and they were right. They really were right. They knew he wasn't physical and probably wouldn't catch you know, as for as you know, a decade plus, and so the fact he was able to do that too, I think he exceeded expectations. But uh, they just knew that the peak was undeniable, the bat was undeniable, and the person uh, was undeniable. And um, and they got, uh, they certainly got everything they were hoping for, and, and a lot, lot more. You know, I had forgotten that Eric Hosmer went in that draft because when I sorted, I went on Baseball Reference and I looked at Buster Posey's career, and they have a stat called championship uh, uh, winning uh, percentage, and uh, it. You can sort it and it basically says, okay, this one play contributed to the the Giants championships hope championship hopes more than any other play. And the number one play was the leadoff uh, at bat from Eric Hosmer against Madison Bumgarner in game seven of the 2014 World Series. That one out made the biggest difference between a championship and uh, uh, losing the World Series than any other play in Buster Posey's history. And it makes sense that, y- you know, you can't get the leadoff hitter on in that situation. But I had forgotten that Hosmer was like, that was like the alternate universe. Hosmer could have been on the Giants and Posey could have been on the Royals or or vice versa. I mean, it was, it was just a, a weird moment in time, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, it, it, I think what he struck out on a high fastball. Is that what happened? Yeah, high fastball. Madison Baumgartner started uh, two sliders that were not competitive pitches. And then Posey just said, OK, let's go fastball. And it was one of the more impressive frame jobs I've ever seen. Uh, Posey framing that that uh, 2-0 pitch to get to 2-1. So it was like a really just good snapshot of, of Posey's career. But everything the Giants had good in the last decade other teams had to contribute, like the Rays or, you know, the the Rockies by not drafting Madison Bumgarner. You know, all those teams, all those players had to fall into place just the right way. Uh, I don't know. I always think about that stuff, the, the sliding doors and such. And, you know, uh, which two players signed on the same day after that 2008 draft? They became Giants on the exact same day. No. Was a fourth round pick by the name of Brandon Crawford, and he's uh, he he's put up thirty plus WAR in his career. He was the second best player in that draft. Buster Posey was the first, and the Giants. I mean that that's uh, you know I know that uh, some of the later years uh, with John Barr and his and his uh, um, amateur scouting group weren't quite as successful. Even though they did trade a lot of people, they they did draft a lot of successful people who just went on to have success elsewhere, uh, like you know Brian Reynolds, Brian Reynolds, uh, <laughs> but. Um, um, but 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 that one draft, I mean, that one draft is just makes him a legend. Uh, they got Buster Posey, they got Brandon Crawford. How, how much more could you ask for? That is wild. I mean, if you redid that entire draft, you know, I don't know how many players were taken. Close to a thousand amateur players were were taken. If you were to redo that entire draft right now, you might get Nolan Arenado above Crawford. You might get Garrett Cole, but there's a strong possibility it goes Posey one, Crawford two. Yeah, Garrett Cole didn't sign. He actually had to, you know, didn't didn't he? Uh 
wasn't he drafted, but but uh, he wasn't he was one one in, in another draft. I think so. so yeah, he, that that's a good point. You could take him out. I think the next guy in terms of war after uh, Posey and Crawford might be Lance Lynn mm. out of that draft. Mm. So Jason Kipnis, I think, uh, compiled a, quite a bit. But um, but yeah, it's <laughs> you really. I mean, they just absolutely nailed it. They, they nailed that draft. Have yourself a draft. All right. Do you have any parting thoughts about Posey? Uh, this still feels very, very strange to me. Yeah, I guess my parting thought would be that, you know, it, it really is remarkable when you think about all of the, the common threads and all of the common bonds between the, the last decade of Giants baseball. It was the Buster hug. It was it was Buster was at the center of, of all of it. And you had a few things here and there. You know, Hector Sanchez caught Timmy's second no hitter. And, um, you know, there, there were times when when Buster, you know, he opted out in 2020. But almost every really iconic moment, um, it was Buster Posey right there being the common thread. And I think that, um, you know, seeing that stat that a quarter of the postseason games he's caught were shutouts. That's I, I, that's not an accident. That's not a small sample noise weirdness thing. I mean, that happened because Buster Posey is who he is. And I think he's studious. He's prepared. He's focused. Um, and, you know, I was talking with Bruce Bochy yesterday, and uh, he, he finished answering my question about when he could really rely on Buster as kind of a thought partner and someone who could be a conduit to the clubhouse. And he's like, first year. It was the first year. And he finished answering the question, and Janie McCauley from the AP started asking another question, and Boach kind of talked over her a little bit because he'd caught sight of Buster across the room, and you could just see the gleam of admiration in his eyes. And he said, you know, he just gets it. He gets it. He was born to play baseball, that he's just a, a baseball player. And it's the simplest, simplest, most factual throwaway compliment you could give someone. He's a baseball player. Like, well, duh, yeah. He, he's a baseball player, but um, it means something when you say it in that tone of voice. And uh, I think that's that probably summarizes uh, what what Buster's career has been and the person he's been as, as a, a baseball player, um, as, as well as anything. Well, maybe that description would help explain why, you know, if he just understands baseball, if he just gets it, that might explain why he said, OK, I've done enough. I don't need to uh, straggle along. Like, I don't want to pick on anyone, but like, you know, the end of Steve Carlton's career where he's bounced around from the Phillies to the Giants to the White Sox, to the Indians, to the Twins. Uh, Posey never needed to do that, maybe because he sort of understood where it was going from here like maybe he could have had one more all-star season two maybe he could have uh helped this way that way i think he just saw like yeah i've done what i need to do and he went out on his own terms and i respect the hell out of it yeah and uh you know i think you just have to appreciate what um what he's meant and, and what he's accomplished and 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 also just uh you know, say, hey, you know what? You can't be greedy. Of course, you'd love to cheer Buster Posey forever, but um, we all know we, we make this bargain with the players that we root for. It's, uh, as someone said to me a long time ago, it's kind of like your pets. You, you know what, you, what you're signing up for, and you're, you're going to say goodbye to them uh, in all likelihood, uh, but you love them anyway. And um, not to say that Buster Posey is, is our pet, but uh, there are a lot of dogs in the Bay Area named Buster. Two points about this. Uh, first is I spent Halloween with a dog named Posey. Um, it's, 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 it's a teammate of my, my uh, daughter's soccer team. And second, I recorded this whole episode with a three-year-old Labradoodle on my lap. So I didn't think you could wound me anymore, but that analogy... Oh. Gosh, Andy, you really put me... No, I'm just teasing. All right. This has been episode 172 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast, an emergency podcast... Oh, man. 
Buster Posey retired. Well, all right. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time, hopefully for like cooler news, happier news. I don't know. What do you yeah. say? Yeah, we'll do a happier emergency podcast next time. When How's Clayton that? Kershaw signs. I love trolling people with that. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then.